Section six of Here and Hereafter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria de Fatima da Silva. Here and Hereafter by Barry Payne. The Widower. The decision of Edward Morris to marry again was one of the few practical things of his record. He had married first at the age of 18 without the knowledge of his parents. His wife died two years later. He had no children by her. At her death he was desolate. He was as desolate, that is, as one can be at twenty. He was free from the annoying minor poet habit of advertising his afflictions, but it was quite clear to himself that there was nothing more left. Yet it is idle for a man to say he will stop when nature, his proprietor, says that he will go on. There is no comedy at ninety, and there is no tragedy at twenty. After he had deposited the remains of his wife in Brompton Cemetery, she had a strong aversion to cremation, and inwardly believed that it destroyed the immortal soul. He went off into the country, selecting a village where he knew nobody. Here he learned by heart considerable portions of the poems of Heine, neglected to return the call of the rector, and bored himself profusely. It must not be understood that he resented the boredom. That was what life was to be in future a continuous dreariness. After a brief stay in the village, he went off to Paris to study art. At the time when he thought of giving himself to music, all noticed his ability in painting. When he took to art, they remembered that he had musical talent. A year later, when he returned to England to live the life of a hermit, to teach in song what he had learned in sorrow, some said that he was a lost artist, and some that he was a lost musician, and others that he was a well-defined case of dilettantism. It is, however, difficult to be a hermit in London. London has many tentacles. It puts them out and draws you into the liveliest part of itself. A claim of relationship, an old friendship, a piece of medical advice, a chance meeting, anything may become a tentacle. Almost before he knows it, the misanthropical hermit is dragged from his shell and is writing that he has much pleasure in accepting her very kind invitation for the 13th and wonders if that man in Sackville Street will be able to make him some evening clothes in time, his others being not so much clothes as a relic of those pre-hermit days when his wife, his only love, still lived and took him out to dinners and would have the glass down in the hansoms. The thought that he resented this last action at the time saddens him, but the acceptance is posted. He is drawn into the vortex. Once in, Edward Morris had to explain to himself how he got there. Nobody else wanted any explanation, Nobody else knew that the first time he took his hostess in to dinner, he looked down the long table towards his host's right hand and remembered. 
His explanation to himself was that he did it to avoid comment. One could not wear one's heart on one's coat sleeve. One must go somewhere and must do something. One must unfortunately live, even when the savour of life has gone. So he lived, and in living the savour of life came back again. It was on a muggy December evening that he accompanied Lady Marchsea and her eminent husband to a first-night performance. When the eminent man was grumbling at the draught, and Lady Marchsea was with justification admiring herself, her dress and everything that was hers, Edward Morris looked up. Out of the gloom of the box above him, a brown-faced girl with dark eyes, her chin leaning on her white gloves, bent forward and looked down. Yet it was not till the end of the first act that he asked who she was and was told that she was nobody, but was apparently with the Martins, who were very, very dear friends, and would Mr. Morris take her round? That was the beginning of it, and the end of it was his engagement to Adela Constantia Graham, who was nobody. Everybody who knew Adela Constantia knew that it was an excellent thing for her, a much wealthier man than she had any reason to expect. Everyone who knew Edward Morris knew that it was the best thing for him. Ballast, said Lady Marchsea emphatically. That is what marriage means to a man like Edward Morris. He needs ballast, something to make him concentrate himself and trust himself, something to encourage him and urge him on. Her notions of the general uses of ballast were vague, but her conviction was sincere that Edward Morris, happily remarried, would achieve something in one, or possibly in all, of the arts. Her eminent husband said, Nice sort of man, but no good, really. But still he paid for the dinner service with the sanctifying mark on the bottom of all the plates, which they forwarded to Edward Morris a short time before the wedding. The wedding which never took place. About a week before the date fixed for that wedding, it occurred to Edward Morris in a moment of leisure, he was naturally very busy at the time, that his first wife had been a jealous woman, and he wondered what she would have thought and said if she had been alive. He could laugh at the illogicality. If she had been alive, there would have been nothing to think or to say. The haunting face with the chin pressed on the white gloves against the darkness at the back of the box would have been merely a face and nothing more, and would not have haunted. He collected his old love letters and burned them. Other little relics of his first wife he gathered together, had them placed in a box and deposited at his bankers. The old life was done, the new life was beginning. Yet one night, as he stood in a darkened room with Adela Constantia in his arms, the door opened with a little quick click some few inches. She stepped back from him, thinking it was a servant, and he turned white, thinking, in a moment of madness, that it was someone else. Then he went to the door and opened it wider. No one was there. The position of the widower who marries again is irritating to him if he be, as Edward Morris was, a man of nice feeling. 
he has to say and to believe that he loves as he never loved in his life before scraps of youth's romance must be whipped up out of his respectable past to set against the virginal fervor of the young woman who has just begun to love him yet he feels that all this is an insult to the dead to the woman who loved him before a man of the world has a happy habit of forgetting and of ignoring he may marry for the second or third time quite easily he takes nothing too seriously he may order a new overcoat but he does not feel that the coat will be worthless unless he swears and tries to believe that he never wore a coat like that before morris however was a sentimentalist and so he became irritated with himself the next step inevitably followed he became irritated with his dead wife she had got her cold arms round his neck and was dragging him down and holding him back from the joyful development of his life when in london it was his custom to visit her grave in brompton cemetery at regular intervals once every month during his engagement to adela constantia he made up his mind that this regular visit must be dropped some arrangement could be made to have the grave kept in decent order but he could not go near it again he remembered having been told a story of a widower who married again and went hand in hand with his second wife to stand by the grave of the first it had been told him as something pathetic he had never been able to see in it anything but a subject for a humorous paper guy de montpasson would have done wonders with it he settled the day when the last visit should be made he selected an appropriate wreath in which everlastings and dead leaves were symbolically interwoven but that afternoon more than ever before his hatred to his dead wife grew within him he recollected her strange belief with regard to cremation fire destroyed everything even the immortal soul and it seemed as if fire destroyed love too he remembered that he had burnt her letters as he drove down regent street an old friend a man whom he had not seen for some time recognized him he stopped the cab and his friend came up why do i never see you now said the friend but of course i know very much engaged aren't you that's not bad for an impromptu by the way i suppose you are going there now no said morris as a matter of fact i am not well you are evidently going somewhere and you carry a big box with you with a florist's label on it so all i can say is that if you are not going there you ought to be edward morris laughed and to laugh was the last touch of horror well the friend said if you are really not going to see miss graham i have no scruples in annexing you come round to the club for a game of billiards thanks said morris i am afraid i am very busy this afternoon however he let himself be persuaded the box containing the wreath was left in the charge of the hall porter at the club on the following day morris dispatched the wreath to brompton cemetery by a messenger boy where the symbolical offering was deposited on the grave of charles ernest jessop who died at the age of two and a half and of whose death or previous existence morris was unaware 
messenger boys are so careless morris never even attempted to visit the cemetery again it was not only anger it was not only hatred it was also fear that kept him away he was assured in his own mind that the dead woman was awake again and was watching him jealously the moment when he had just awoken from sleep was always a horrible one for him the fear of the dead woman was in his mind then and nothing else was very clear he left the electric light on all night and as a rule slept fairly well and without any haunting or painful dreams but the moment of waking was always a trial he kept on expecting to see something that he never did see he would not have wondered if as he awoke someone had touched his hand or the electric light had been suddenly switched off of course everybody noticed that he looked wretchedly ill adela constantia was in despair about his health there were things about him which were very queer that he did not like dark rooms that when he was talking to her he would suddenly look over his shoulder at nothing the comforting doctor told her that morris has been very busy indeed with the preparation for his married life and the doctor added a lot of worry upsets the nerves this is quite true on his wedding morning he certainly looked much fitter to be buried than to be married his best man gave him champagne and told him to hold his head up more the bride made an adorable and pathetic figure a beautiful young girl is always a pathetic figure on her wedding morning her sisters fluttered around her ready to cry at the right moments her father looked a little nervous and elated he had had quite a long talk with lady marchsea whose husband was kept away by the toothache the ceremony went with its customary brilliance until that point when the bridegroom was required to say i edward take thee adela constantia he said this in a loud voice but he did not say adela constantia he gave another name there was a moment's pause and while everybody was looking at everybody he fainted and fell at the inquest it was found that the blow on the head from the sharp edge of the stone step satisfactorily accounted for the death all the evening papers had readable paragraphs headed tragic end to a fashionable wedding ceremony and adela constantia married somebody else and the dead woman went to sleep again end of section six